So I'm sure that some of you have heard about what happened in Florida last night. An Islamic radical went inside a gay bar and started shooting. And it's the biggest uh, mass murder that we've had in the history of our country. Over 50 people were murdered last night, and 53 people or something like that were shot and injured. Over 100 people were shot. Obviously, a follower of Christ, it goes against everything that we believe. We believe in loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We believe in loving our neighbor as ourselves. As a follower of Christ, you might meet somebody that you disagree with a lifestyle or something that they're doing. But you never take a gun and kill them. I mean, that's just so outrageous to the Christian mindset. So this is a very sad time in our history as a country to see things like this happen. Each of these people have a mom and a dad that loves them. They have family and friends that care about them. And to see their life ended like that, it's just really, really sad. I just want to take a time out to pray for these families. It, you know, it's even hard when you're praying to even think, like, what do you say? You know, how do you wrap your mind around someone just going in and just killing people and not caring, just wiping them out? What does it take for people to get to that point that they would do such a thing? But let's take some time out and pray. Dear God... We hate to see this type of thing happen where someone would just take the life of anybody just in any way whatsoever. Obviously, when it's a mass shooting like this, it hits us harder. And Lord, we pray for these families of these people that you'd bring them comfort during this time. We ask that somehow, some way, that would draw them to you and not away from you. Because something like this can obviously draw them away from you. And when people do something like this and they think that they're doing it in the name of God, it can really discredit who you really are. And Lord, we, we just pray that somehow, some way, that they'll know that this isn't anything to do with you. And Lord, that they will know that you love them and that you care for people and that you want to draw people to you. You want to draw people to salvation. You don't want this type of thing to happen. And Lord, you say in Scripture, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It's not good what happened, but you have this amazing way that you can use it for good, and that's what we're asking for. We're asking you to use it for good in some way and that you bring comfort to those that are hurting. Lord, we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we were going through the book of Proverbs together, I picked out seven messages from, from Proverbs. The first week we did an introduction. I picked out seven messages from Proverbs, and they were the messages that I felt like Proverbs spoke to the most, like what Proverbs had to say the most. And one of them, I went back and forth. I'm not going to do this message. I'm just not going to do this message. The reason why is even though it's a major theme in Proverbs, I felt like I, I spoke on something like this not even too long ago. It, it feels like it was just a couple months back. But it's a major theme in Proverbs, but I already preached on something like this recently. I'm not going to do it. But for some reason, whatever the reason is, I don't know, but I just decided 
if we're going to study Proverbs, it's such a major thing. Maybe I should just go with it anyway. Maybe somebody here needs to hear a message again about how to control your anger. Because I preached on it not too long ago. Not known the night before. You see, obviously, this is an extreme example of someone that doesn't know how to control their anger. But, you know, the night before something like this happens, and then my message is on how to control your temper. Something that I talked myself out of speaking this message three or four times, I finally changed my mind and said, I'm going for it. And uh, we're going to talk about how to control your temper, taming your temper. I think uh, it's appropriate with what just happened. And there's probably here, people here that need to hear it again. Because I know for me, my number one character weakness has always been anger. Now, you might say, really? You don't seem like an angry person. It's because I really work on it a lot. I really work on it a lot. But I used to be characterized as an angry person. I was that person in school that was getting in the fistfights and uh, justifying it and that type of thing. That's That's the type of person I was. I think the reason I was drawn into high school wrestling, it was a way to kind of beat up somebody and get rewarded for it. You know, kind of, uh, yeah. So, but that's where, that's where I was. And it's taken hard work. It's taken a lot of prayer. It's taken a lot of growth, a lot of time with God to get better at it. But still, it's my weakest area. I've just learned to control it better. You know, there are some people, if they're going to mess up, you know what their temptation is. It's alcohol. If this guy's going to mess up, you know they have a gambling problem. That's what they do. If this person messes up, you know they're a womanizer, and that's how they do it. You know, people have their different things. If I'm going to mess up, I can pretty much guarantee you it's going to have something to do with I allow my anger to get the best of me, and I hit somebody or something like that. That would be the most likely way I would mess up. Even though I've learned through prayer and through time with God to control it, but that would be my weakest. That's That's where I'm weak. That's why I have to keep check on it. So maybe you're like me that... Maybe this is an area that you really need to hear again. But Proverbs 16.32 says, It's better to be slow-tempered than famous. It's better to have self-control than to control an army. Every time I hear this verse, I think of Alexander the Great. Because he was so... I mean, he controlled the most powerful army at that time. It was unbelievable what he was able to do in those days. And yet, he was drinking one day, had probably had a little bit too much to drink. He got angry, arguing with his general, who happened to be his best friend. And in the heat of the anger, he strikes his best friend and kills him. And you think, like, how does that happen? How can someone allow anger to get a hold of them so much that they kill somebody? Or they kill 50 people? How, how does that happen? Well, here's what he said. I've conquered the world, but I can't even conquer my soul. What he's saying is, what good is it if I've conquered the whole world and I, can't, I have no control of my own temper? I don't have any self-control. I control this whole army and I can't even control, control my own self. What kind of leader is that? If you can't control your own temper, if you can't control yourself, you really have no power. You really have no power. Because you have to start with having the power to at least control yourself before you try to control something else or somebody else. I think there's three things that we can look at that will help us when we're thinking about temper and stuff. 
One is reflecting on or reminding yourself of what happens when you do it, the, the, the negative results, right? Aren't there negative results to bad temper? Have you ever got angry and you did something, and then right afterwards you feel like, oh, what did I do? And you just feel horrible about it because you know you didn't control your temper and it has a negative consequence. How about this? Reflecting before, you know, you respond. Have you ever responded to something and later said, ah, oh, I should have just given it some more time to think about it before I said that? You know, restraining your words. You know, anger causes you to say things and do things that you regret later. Anger causes you to, to have regret. A lot of the things that we regret in life are things that we've done out of our own anger. And we look back and we think, why did I do that? That's not how I want to be. Why did that happen? So in your notes, number one, remember the results. Let's start there. Remember the result of my anger. When you think about how it messed you up in the past, hopefully it helps you not to do it again in the future. Here's what Proverbs 19.22 says. A hot-tempered man gets into all kinds of trouble. Have you experienced that? Your anger gets you into trouble. Proverbs 15.18. Hot tempers cause arguments. How about that one? Have you ever gotten angry and you have a stupid argument over something that doesn't really matter? <clears throat> Proverbs 14.29. Anger causes mistakes. Have you made mistakes because of anger? I have. One time, I was so angry, I was driving home, and we have assigned parking, and somebody was in my parking spot. I was so angry, so what I did is I drove and parked right behind them, and they can move the car in the morning, because you know, you know, I was so angry. Who are they to take my spot? I was talking to my father-in-law like a little bit afterwards, and he said, did you ever consider that somebody maybe went there for an emergency? Maybe someone's sick and needs a ride to the hospital and they're a visitor. They don't know where to park, so they're there really fast to get them. And maybe you're blocking them in. Did you ever consider why that might be? And I said, no, I just assumed that they're not supposed to be there. I went out and moved the car. I parked in the street. I don't know why they parked there. But the thing about it is, out of anger, what do I want to do? I'll get even. They might have to go to work at 7 in the morning. Maybe they need to leave tonight at 11. They're not going to get out. You know, get even with them for taking my parking space. What if they were there in an emergency to get somebody to the hospital? I don't know. See, because anger causes you not to think out. You get narrow-minded. And you automatically, they're bad, I'm good, I'm going to make them pay. Anger is only going to, in the long run, maybe the first, maybe you did it and they were in the wrong. That's going to reinforce that idea the second time when maybe it is an emergency. So I went out and moved my car after talking to my father-in-law because he was someone that was thinking it out. He was someone that was using wisdom. I wasn't. Proverbs 14, 17 says, people with hot tempers do foolish things. Have you ever done something foolish because of your temper? I have. So we want to have our temper tamed. We want to have it under control. <clears throat> Will Rogers said, people who fly into rage seldom make a good landing. When you're angry, it's going to mess you up. When you lose your temper, you know who loses? You lose. What happens when you lose your temper? You can lose your reputation. Do you know 
Maybe, you, maybe you've done this. Have you or do you know of anybody that's lost their job because of their temper? Yeah, I know people that have lost their job because of their temper. Do you know anybody that uh, has children that won't speak to them anymore because of their temper? I know, I know of people like that. Do you know anybody that a husband or wife have left one another because of their temper? I know of marriages that have split up because of temper, like people getting angry and it causes fights and then the relationships end it. Do you know people that have bad health because of their temper? They're bitter and angry all the time and it, it, it's bad for their health. Your temper is going to mess you up. That's why you have to have it under control. James Dobson, he did a survey for uh, kids 9 to 12 years old and he asked them, what do you like best about your mom? And these 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds named a variety of things. I mean, it's just a long list of, you know, I like this, I like that, I like this, I like that. Then he asked them, what do you like least about your mom? And it was almost unanimous. There was a few differences, but it was almost unanimous. I hate it when mom screams. Wow. Why do we scream? I know why I scream. I scream because it gives initial results. But do you like to be screamed at? How close do you feel to a person when they're screaming at you? If that continues for a few years, what your relationship would be? If you have a boss that screams at you a lot, they're angry and they yell at you a lot, do you feel endeared to that boss? Or as time goes by, you don't care about him anymore? You might just get a paycheck, but you don't care about him. How would you like your kids to feel that way about you? How would you like your wife to feel that way about you? How would you like your husband to feel that way about you? Okay. What it does is it separates you in the long run. It, it always does more damage than good. Initially, it gets results because fear can cause people to, you know, respond initially. Long term, the consequences are going to be worse. It's just you don't, people don't need somebody yelling in their face. So you have to remember the results. What's going to be the long term results of what I'm doing? Is it going to be positive or is it going to be negative? Healing or tearing down? Saving lives or destroying lives? You have to think of that. Is it going to ruin my life? It's going to ruin my life if my kids don't want to talk to me. It's going to ruin my life if my wife doesn't want to be with me. It's going to ruin my life if I lose friends. It's, so you have to think of the consequences. Number two, reflect before reacting. Don't respond impulsively. You have to think it through. When you... In the heat of the moment, when you respond, you're going you're gonna to say the wrong thing. I've done this. I'm angry, and I respond. I say the wrong thing. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A stupid man, and I've done this before, so I've been stupid. A stupid man gives free reign to his anger. A stupid man gives free reign to his anger. A wise man waits and lets it cool down. I've learned to wait and let it cool down. But I've experienced being a stupid man. And responding in the heat of the moment, and then you say the wrong things, you do the wrong things, you break something. You, it's, it doesn't look like Christ. It definitely doesn't look like Christ. So it's learning to, to cool it. Yeah, hey, is that a biblical term? I guess it is, right? Let it grow cool. Cool it. Circle the word waits. A wise man waits. There's something about waiting. There's something about the delay that allows your temper to calm down. Women listen to this because this is usually a women-man thing. The man gets angry and he just wants to walk out. 
and the woman wants to chase after him. Don't. Don't chase after him. Don't chase after him. You're going to make it worse chasing after him. Let me tell you why. Because men don't think like women think. We're different. We're different in how we respond. Here's what happens. The man wants to cool off. He just needs time to get away and let the steam off and cool down. So that way he can calm down, come back, and really talk about it and have some, hopefully some success at working this out. But if you force him when he's not ready, it's like when you back that animal in a corner and it starts attacking. And you're going to be thinking, why is he attacking me? Because he's a man. I'm not trying to excuse him. But I'm saying he was backed in the corner. Let him calm down. The reason how he's walking away is he knows he's too angry. He knows he's going to say the wrong thing. He knows it's going to, you know, so he's trying to separate for the good of everything. Let him separate. Let him cool off. But as a man, when you cool off, that doesn't mean you go back and act like nothing happened and don't talk about it. Okay? That's not the solution. You cool off and then you talk about it. You say, hey, I'm ready to talk. I was just angry. I just needed time to cool off. Okay, I'm ready to talk. Okay? Because one of the reasons why the woman is pressing and pressing and pressing is she fears that you're going to just walk off and, and once you cool down, you don't want to talk about it anymore. And then it's still unresolved. Okay, you do have to talk about it. So there has to be a balance there. Let the guy cool off. Maybe it's in some families, it's the opposite. Maybe it's a woman. Let her cool off, whatever. But when you calm down, do talk about it. It has to be talked about. It needs to still be dealt with. But when you chase somebody down, you don't give them a chance to reflect before reacting. They don't have a chance to. Guaranteed bad idea. Guaranteed bad result. Guaranteed bad things are going to be said. Why would you want that? Give them time. Thomas Jefferson said, when you're angry, count to 10. When you're really angry, count to 100. What's he trying to say? What he's trying to say is, don't, ref- you know, don't just respond. Don't just react. Reflect first. Give it some time. Think it through. Now, I don't know how much you know about politics back in Thomas Jefferson's time, but it was really funny in those days. Well, it's bad, I guess. But in those days, it was common in the Congress, they'd be fighting about an argument, and they'd get in a fistfight. That was common. See, a lot of people don't know that was American history. Yeah, fistfights. This was common. Like one senator is mad at another senator. They're arguing about it. And in the heat of the moment, he takes his glove off. He slaps the guy in his face and challenges him to a duel. They go outside. They each get their guns. They take... Boom! And it was legal. (laughs) And one of them's dead. This was a common thing that would happen in Thomas Jefferson's time. Thomas Jefferson was saying, maybe you should, you know, reflect before you react. Because sometimes the guy that slapped the guy in the face and challenged him to the door was the guy that died. Did he really want to die? So it makes sense. Think about it. Wait, because when you're just reacting, you might be causing your own death in a way. It could be the death of a relationship. It can be the death of the job. But you might be creating death instead of life. So you want to wait. You want to reflect. You want to make sure that you've had time to think it through. And you might say, Jimmy, you don't understand. I can't control it. I can't control it. You can. You can always control it. I can remember being a kid 
And I told you how I'd get in these fights and stuff when I was a kid. So there's a kid over here, and I'm angry at him, and I'm, I'm going to fight this guy, and you just wait what's going to happen. Teacher hears something. I'm gonna, the teacher walks up, and I, hi, how are you doing? You know, teacher comes, and I, why does that mean? I could control my anger when I wanted to, because when the teacher walked up, I had to act like everything was good. I had to act like I'm a nice, good student. Teacher walks away, and you're getting it, buddy. You're getting it. You know, but we have the ability to control our anger. To, I was in the airport, and uh, I won't say who this was, but they're no longer part of this church, but uh, not because of this incident. But <laughs> had nothing to do with this. They had left before. Uh, but there was this couple in the airport, and I said, oh, that's so-and-so. But I could see where they were, and I could see that they were in a heated argument with each other about something at the airport. Like, I could tell it was a private conversation, and I thought, do I go over and say, hi, how are you doing? Or do I just ignore them because they might be embarrassed to be arguing and see me? And I just decided to go up and say hi to them. So I walked over to them, and I could tell, and they saw me at a certain point, and one of them saw me and talked to the other one, and they straightened up and everything. I went, oh, how are you guys doing? How's life going? And I was just talking to them for a few minutes and everything. But they, once they saw me, it was like the heated argument. You could tell they were really mad at each other. It was like everything was fine. Oh, yeah, this, you know. And I, I, I picture once I got out of sight, they were back at each other. You know, I don't know. But what it tells me is you have the ability to control it. So when someone says, I can't control my anger, you can. There's several times in life that you're angry and you control it. It's do you want to control it? That's the issue. Proverbs 12, 16 says, when a fool is annoyed, he quickly lets it be known. Why would you want to? Like, there's a lot of things that you get angry about that you should be ashamed of. Don't let people know. Keep it a secret. Okay? Why would you want to? Oh, that makes me so angry. You know, just don't let people know that you're angry about that. It's going to lessen their view of you as a person. Because they're going to say, it shows your character. If something that petty makes you so angry, what type of a man are you? If something that petty makes you so angry, what's kind of, what kind of a woman are you? It's a character issue. It says a foolish person does that. There are some things that maybe make you a little bit angry, and you should probably not tell anybody. It's like, because why am I getting angry about that? Smart people will ignore an insult. That's the second half of that uh, verse. There are just some things that you just have to ignore. It. You know why? If you can't ignore an insult, you'll be angry all the time. And you give somebody else full control over you. Let's say I'm in a happy mood. And I want to have a happy day. And somebody insults me. If they have control, if I allow outsiders to control who I am, somebody insults me, what's going to happen? I'm going to be all mad and upset and everything. Right? So who controls whether I'm happy or sad or happy and mad? They do. If they respond to me in a happy way, I'm happy. If they respond to me in a mean way, I'm mad. I've given control of my emotions to the outside world instead of me being in charge of my own emotions. I want to be the smart person. If they're doing that and I don't want to be angry, I've got to ignore it. I've got to ignore it. I'm going to tell you this. The more you're in the spotlight, the more you get attacked. You are. Being a pastor of a church, I get insulted way more than I ever did doing anything else. Being the head coach of a wrestling team, I get insulted way more than anybody else coaching there, like an assistant coach. Here's the funny thing. When I took over the team, the team was lousy. We were the worst team in the whole area. 
The better the team gets, here's the weird thing, the better the team gets, the more insults you get. Yeah. And not just from the competitors. I'm talking about from within you know, the camp. Not the, not the wrestlers themselves so much, but parents trying to get involved. Because what happens is when the team is lousy, the school doesn't notice it, and they just don't care about that team. The parents don't notice it. They're, just, they're used to losing. But when the team gets good and you're starting to win, somehow everybody thinks they're an expert now. And they all want to give you their advice of how to have a super team. And they don't realize that the team is lousy doing some of the things that they're suggesting. That's why I made the changes. That's how we became good. And they get insulted that you don't take their advice on how to have a championship team, which they don't realize we are a championship team already because of changing some of those things. You know how it is? And I'm telling you, the more that you're in the spotlight, the more insults you get which tells you if you're a leader and you are too concerned about what people feel, you'll be angry all the time, sad all the time. You can't live like that. That's not a way to live. I say this all the time. It doesn't matter. The last two presidents, you, you look at Bush and you read uh, when he was uh, president and you read on um, you know, comments about him on the Internet and people said the most horrible, you would think he was like, a demon from hell, okay? Now Obama's president, and now the other side attacks him. And you read all the things that they say about Obama, you would think he's a demon from hell. If your only perception of the last two presidents, presidents were what you read about them on the internet, because who is it that says all the garbage? The opponents. Yeah, the opposite side. And the opposite side tries to make the other side look as horrible as they possibly can. Okay, and, you know, can you imagine if, uh, if uh, Bush or Obama were too concerned about what people were saying about them? <laughs> They'd be sulking in their bedroom every day. And he said this on the Internet. And he said, I mean, it would be a horror. You, you know, a good leader, you have to learn how to just ignore. You have to ignore a lot of stuff. The more you're in the spotlight, the more you're going to be attacked. So smart people will ignore an insult. Always take good criticism. Take criticism because that can help you. But ignore the insults. What does it take to upset you? In Proverbs 19.11, it says, When someone wrongs you, it is a great virtue to ignore it. When someone wrongs you, it's a great virtue. So it's saying it's maturity. Just let it go. I think of Jesus. He was slandered. He was criticized. But he didn't retaliate. He just let it go. I, I, you know, you can't just fight everybody all the time. It's, it's going to wear you down. It doesn't wear them down. Just let it go and live your life and please an audience of one. Because if I try to make you guys happy, then you get upset. So then I come over here and try to make you happy, and then they get upset. So I come, is that how you want to live your life? So instead of trying to please an audience of 100, please an audience of one. God, what do you want me to do? And once you feel like, okay, that's what God wants me to do, then go for it no matter what anybody says. You know what I mean? Because you're not trying, you know, you can't be a man pleaser. It will ruin your life. But if you say, well, if God and me are cool on this, I'm good. I'm good. Because you can never please everybody, but you can please God. So I want to please God. George Patton, General George Patton, he wrote a book, Patton's Principles for Managers Who Mean It. And one of the laws in his book is, Never fight a battle. You don't gain anything by winning. <laughs> Never fight a battle if you don't gain anything by winning it. 
Why would you go to war if you're not going to gain anything from doing it? Think about that in your marriage. Never argue over something you're not going to gain. If I win this argument, what am I going to gain? A really angry, upset wife. Okay, I'm not winning. You know, sometimes you win the argument and you lose the war, right? So think of it. Is this worth fighting for? There are some things worth fighting for, right? There are some things worth fighting for. But there's a lot of things that just aren't worth it. What's the gain that you get? If there's a gain in it, maybe it's worth it. But if there's no gain in it, let it go. Proverbs 17, 27 says, people who stay calm have real insight. I think the reason why is, you know, you keep yourself collected. You don't react. You have a chance to think about what's really going on. Like when you think about anger, what's really going on? See, I can try to control my anger, but the real issue is I'm hurt. Okay? So I'm trying to control my anger, not dealing with the hurt, just the anger. Okay, don't get angry. Don't. I could be trying to control my anger for three weeks. Oh, don't, don't let my anger come out like that for three weeks, four weeks. But if the real issue is that I'm hurt, wouldn't the sensible thing be deal with the hurt? Talk, okay, so, hey, I'm hurt by this, and you work out the hurt. Maybe if you dealt with the hurt, the anger would be gone in a day because it gets resolved. You're dealing with what the issue is. Anger is just the outward emotion that's telling me I'm hurt. I'm hurt. Deal with the hurt. Because you can control your anger for, and, you're, and you're dying inside and you're miserable. But boy, am I controlling my anger in front of people. But you're, you're, it's killing you on the inside. Deal with the hurt. That's the real problem. The other problem is frustration. Deal with the frustration. Maybe it's your view of the frustration. People get angry when they're frustrated. Not they're, they're not hurt. They're just frustrated. Like, oh, I need to get to work. Uh, I'm going to, uh, I have five minutes, I'll stop by the bank on the way. You get out of the car, you have five minutes. And there's 14 people in line, there's only one teller. And what happens? You get mad. Ugh, I've got to do, ugh, this is my plan. And you get frustrated. And then, you know, you're late to work, and now you have to hurry. And then you get on the freeway, and it's like, oh, of all times, why is it like this now? And it just eats you up. You're frustrated. The issue is dealing with your frustrations. What's the real cause of a lot of frustrations? Me? Lack of planning. It never takes five minutes. Okay? It never takes five minutes. You know, if you go on your GPS and you say, how long is it going to take for me to drive to church? It's lying to you. (laughs) Okay? You have to add in extra time. You say, I'm going to go to the bank. It'll probably take me five minutes. Add 15 minutes. I mean, make it 15 minutes, you know. And you know what's going to happen this week? You're going to say, that's a good idea, and you're going to go to the bank, and you're going to be the only guy in line, and there's going to be five tellers. I said, why did I come 15 minutes early? <laughs> no, but I'm telling you, you avoid your frustration. I've never met people get frustrated because they got to the place early. Frustration comes when you're late, right? You know, uh, you know well, I don't always get late. I mean, when I'm... Um, Late, I don't always get frustrated. Like, oh, I guess I'm too late to make it to the dentist. I guess I better call and cancel. Woo! Don't have to go to the dentist today. But um, in general, your frustration comes from being late. 
So really the issue is plan and work on that part. If I plan things better, give myself a little bit more leeway, I'd probably have a lot less frustration. Another thing with frustration is the core issue is how I view the world. Do I have a Christian viewpoint of the world? What would be a Christian viewpoint? Well, the Bible says all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things work together for the good of those who are loved by God and are called according to his purpose. Does it mean everything's good? No, not everything's good. All things work together for the good. Have you ever thought that maybe that traffic that is slowing you down from getting to where you're going is a blessing in disguise? Maybe the, that accident up there would have been you if you would have been on the freeway five minutes earlier. Oh, I wish, you know, oh, I, if I would have known the traffic was like this, I would have left five minutes earlier. Yeah, and then you'd be the one on the side of the road with a broken arm or maybe a, don't, no telling, maybe not even alive. Have you ever thought of that? So sometimes it's a blessing in disguise. If all things work together for the good of those who love God, all things includes traffic. All things include that line in the bank. So a lot of it has to do, do I have a Christian worldview on things? Or do I have a worldly view on things? If you think like the world, you're mad. If you think like the Bible says, you think, oh, it wasn't my plan. I tried to leave early. I tried to do everything right, but this happens, and, and I'm just trusting God that somehow, someway, this is better, even though it doesn't make sense to me why it would be better, because you can't know sometimes. Also, it's insecurity, the reason I'm angry is I'm insecure. Have you ever dated somebody, don't say yes, especially if you're still with this person. Have you ever dated somebody that's jealous all the time? They're jealous all the time. It's a miserable experience. Why are they jealous all the time? It's insecurity. They're insecure. They, they like, uh, why is he talking to her? And they, they feel insecure. So they're, and then you come over there and they're angry at you. Why were you talking to her? Or why is he talking, or, you know, why is she talking to him? And then she comes over there, why, why were you talking to him? You know, jealousy, it's, it's because you're insecure. You know, insecurity makes you angry. So the thing to do is, if I'm angry all the time, why am I so insecure? What's really going on? What, is, what about me has made me so insecure? You deal with your insecurity, the anger's going to go. If you learn how to handle hurt, frustration and insecurity, you won't be an angry person. You know how I talked about how anger was my number one problem growing up? It's because I had hurt, I was insecure, and I was easily frustrated. The same things. Learning to control those three things takes a person that their natural tendency growing up has been anger to a different person. Most people today, I'm telling you, if I told you, you know, people that know me, even my children, people that know me very close, they would say, Dad's not an angry, per angry person. Tanya would say, well, I would never see Jimmy as an angry person. You talk to my brothers, my parents, but people that I grew up with, friends, they, oh, yeah. He would get angry about this. You know, they'd get in a fight over something, like a physical altercation over the stupidest things. You know, I can remember one time we were playing wiffle ball, you know, in the backyard, and some neighbor kid, as a joke, while the guy was throwing the ball to me, and we were in a serious game, and, and he decided to run across, and he messed up my string, and I had the wiffle ball uh, bat, 
And I would chase after him, and I beat him on the way home. <laughs> he ran all the way home, and I was hitting him with that wiffle ball bat. You know, it's a plastic bat. I was so mad at him. Stupid, because he made me miss a ball. And the pitcher said, oh, we'll do it over. That didn't matter to me. It was like, I was so stupid. What would I, I think back, I thought, I did that. And I wasn't three years old. You know, I was like 12 or 13. It was like well beyond something like that bothering you. You know, but that, it's just immaturity. And uh, when you deal with those issues of frustration, the hurt, the insecurity, the anger goes. Alfred uh, Alder, he's a famous psychotherapist, and he said, all people with an overactive temper are just insecure. I believe it's more than being insecure. I think it's hurt and frustration as well. But there's a lot to that. Insecurity can cause you to really have a behavior that's, that's not healthy. When you deal with these type of things, it really does reduce the anger in your life. So you want to remember the bad results. If I'm angry, it's going to have bad results if I don't handle it right. Reflect before you react. And third, restrain your remarks. Don't just speak at that time. Restrain yourself. Look at Proverbs 21, 23. If you want to stay out of trouble, be careful what you say. See, a sharp tongue could be the quickest way to cut your own throat. Someone said, use sweet words because someday you might have to eat them. So I want to use sweet words. I want to be soft in how I say it. Do you know when you're angry, boy, you can just, off the top of your mind, just come up with the best way to hurt somebody. And the funny thing is, when you're happy, sometimes it's hard to think of the best words to say to make somebody feel good. It's hard. But anger makes your mind work in that way. In a, in a, I mean, it can be a really negative thing, so control your tongue. Proverbs 15, 1 says, a gentle answer quiets anger, but a harsh one stirs it up. So you're in a situation, there's a disagreement going on. Harsh words makes it bad. It's, it's, it makes things worse. Also, if you lower the volume, not just nice words, but lower the volume, it changes the atmosphere. So you can disagree with somebody, but simply by lowering the volume of your voice and speaking, saying the disagreement in a nice way, Totally changes everything. They, they, they'll receive it. So you want to be very careful at how you do it. A gentle answer quiets anger. It quiets you. Anger is contagious. When someone gets angry at me, the tendency is to want to get angry back. That's a disease I don't want to catch. So I want to try to make it a habit just to calm things down. Don't allow them to draw me into that. Another reason to be careful with it is children... They learn from watching parents. We're the number one role model. We're not the only role model. You know, your kids look up to teachers, you know, to public figures. But the number one role model in controlling anger is really the mom or dad. Or the number one role model in showing that that's okay is mom and dad. Kids tend to follow your example. So you want to make sure that the example they follow is good. This is what you don't want to have happen. Tommy Bolt, he's the famous golfer in the, in the past. He was that guy from Britain that always had a bad temper if you watch golf. And he was the guy that would, like, uh, he'd take his, um, you know, um, club. <laughs> Thank you. And he'd hit a tree or, you know, he was just so mad. You know, so he was at a pro clinic one time. And um, he said to his nine-year-old son, 
show them what I've been showing, you know, show them what I've taught you about golf. And the nine-year-old son got the nine iron out and threw it in the lake really angrily. <laughs> well, that's not what you want to have happen, right? Yeah, this is what I learned about golf, Dad. You know, so your kids are following you. And you want to make sure that the example they see is something that you really want them uh, to do. So what do you do with this anger? Because you know by what I've been saying, you can't take your anger and just spew it all over people. You know that that's wrong. So what do you do? The alternative is to try to hold it in, and that's going to eat you up. You know, you're just repressing it. Oh, don't get angry. Don't get angry. That's going to kill you as well. So that's not it. You really have to build that relationship with God where you're used to talking to God. Because you're allowed to get angry with God as much as you want to. Want to. You can be angry and you go to God and you can say, you know, God, right now I hate Joe. I just want to just suck him in the face. And you can just be so angry talking to God and he can handle it. What you don't want to do is yell all that stuff at Joe. What you want to do is you want to, you can be as angry to God, you can talk to him about it, you can uh, get your frustration out. And then after you, uh, you start thinking, uh, actually, Joe's not that bad. I mean, actually, I've done the same thing before. Because you've had a time to reflect, you're talking to God about it, you know, and who am I to judge him with the things I do? And before it's all over, you're back talking to Joe about it and things are cool. But I'll tell you what, the other alternative is to yell at Joe, to be angry at Joe and everything. And then after you get it out, you start thinking, the reality is that Joe's not that bad. I do the same thing sometimes. Who am I to judge him? Too late. The, rela- the relationship is probably already ruined. Joe and you will never be friends like you used to be. It's never going to be the same. It's all because of who I took it to. If I took it to God, I got my frustra- frustration out, I could have had a normal, healthy conversation with Joe and maybe worked on the issues. But because I never took it to God and got it out of my system, I took it out on him, and then you ruin the relationship. And that's not what I want to do with a marriage. That's not what I want to do with a friend. That's not what I want to do with my kids. So take it to God. That's, God can handle it. In Galatians 5.22, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is patience. We need patience. I need God in me. And here's what I find out. When I take those things that are frustrating me and I let it out on God, get it out, you know what comes in? I get the junk out, God's love and joy and peace and patience comes in. But when I have all that anger in me, God's love can't get in. When I'm filled up with angry, anger, his patience can't get in. The joy, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, it can't get in. I'm filled with anger. I get that out, and it's amazing how easy it is for his love, joy, peace, patience to come in. So get it out of you. Deal with God. Get it out between you and God. Allow God to give you his peace. And then you can talk to your spouse about it, and you can work on your problems in a civil way. You'll notice that the more tension you have in life, the easier it is to get angry easily. So what you want to do is work on those issues. Talk to God all the time. The number one thing over anything that's helped me with my anger over the years is my personal daily time with God. I try to make it a daily habit just to read something in the Bible and pray. 
you know, I don't think I've missed a day, at least for the last 10 or 11 weeks. You know, though sometimes I miss days, but I don't think I've missed a day for 10 or 11 weeks of, like in the last couple of months, I don't think I've missed a day. What I'm saying is I try to make it a habit. Do I miss days? Yes. But what I'm trying to get out is they're far and few between. Make it a habit to read the Bible and pray. It changes your character. You can't take God's word in every day, every day, and every day, and it not affect the way you, you think. You can't take, read God's word every day and every day and every day, and it doesn't affect the way you feel. It's more than just praying every day. Praying is me talking to God, getting it out. Reading the Bible is getting it in. And it really has, I think it's the number one thing that's changed me uh, over the years with my anger issues. Jesus wants you to have a happy marriage. Jesus wants you to have a happy family. Jesus wants you to have great friendships. And so much of it has to do with what do I do with my anger? Let's take the things that we talked about today and let's pray to God. And if you're someone that says, yeah, you know, I can see how anger has been a negative thing in my life. As we pray, you can make this your prayer to God as well. You can pray along with me silently. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I ask you to heal my hearts. Lord, that I'll learn to forgive people for the things they've done to me so I can let it go and not carry anger in my life. And Lord, the things that frustrate me, Lord, I'm making a commitment to see life through your eyes. You have a bigger picture. And those things, those long lines, whatever it would be that, that just irritates me, I'm making a commitment to see you at work. I say, somehow, some way, you're using this for the good. And just trust you. And I'm going to let go of that frustration and the anger that comes with it. I don't want that to be my life. And Lord, with the insecurities that I have in life, I'm making a commitment today to take those to you, to work on my insecurities so I can let them go and it can release all the anger that comes from that. Because Lord, I want a healthy life. I want a healthy marriage. I want a healthy family. I want healthy friendships. And Lord, I don't want my anger to come in between any of these relationships I have, and especially my relationship with you, Lord. I want you to be in the center of my life in every way. I want my character to belong to you. It's in Jesus' name that I make this commitment. Amen.